Thank you, worship choir and congregation. What a joy to join you in lifting our voices and praise to our great and glorious triune God. Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus. If you're visiting with us this morning, it is our habit to take books of... (coughs) (coughs) Excuse me, it's not our habit to cough. It is our habit to take books of the Bible and to preach through those books of the Bible. We rotate between Old Testament and New Testament, for we believe that God has equally spoken His Word to us through those two Testaments. And if we want to know who is God, we will know that through His Word. So we want to give our attention to the preaching and reading of the Word of God. We're in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 15, as God reveals to us, to you and to me, exactly who He is throughout this text of Scripture. We see him, as Pastor Ryan noted a few moments ago, as this covenant-keeping God who is always faithful to his people. And what we've learned over the course of the last few weeks is God is also a redeeming God. He has redeemed the nation of Israel from bondage and set them free, and now Israel is on this freedom journey. They come out of Exodus out of Egypt, and we saw last week in the first portion of chapter 15, that salvation, that redemption elicits a response in the hearts and the lives of the nation of Israel. And what do they do in response to God's redemption? They sing. And we saw that beautiful song of Moses as he pens those words reflecting on the great salvation that only God can provide. Now you know the narrative. You know the story that Israel has seen over the course of their journey and not just a journey of 400 years as they've been down in, in, in Egypt, but I'm talking about a relatively short period of time, maybe a year time from when the plagues began to the time in which Israel comes out of Egypt. By the way, last Sunday, somebody told me, I said there was 200 uh, Israelites that came out of uh, Egypt. I didn't mean to say 200. I meant to say 2 million. There's about 2 million more than likely. So if I said 200, I'm sorry about that. I'm not infallible, okay? So, two million, not 200. Uh, They've seen all of these wonderful works of God. So, if I were to ask you this morning, reflect for a few moments and, and think in your mind's eye, what is it that you need to see in order for you to have a settled position in your heart that you might be able to say, now I trust the Lord. What do you think you need to see? What experience might you expect for you to live your life in a rested position of faith and hope and trust in God? I submit to you this morning that whatever you might conjure up 
in your mind, it all falls in light of what God has done through this Exodus narrative. Think about it. Pharaoh, let my people go. No, I'm not gonna do that, fine. I'll turn your water into blood. The Nile River, the great and mighty Nile River, that which sustained life for all of Egypt, turns to blood and you can't do anything with it? Okay, 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 I get it. I'll let the people go. With one strike of Moses' rod, the water immediately turns back to a wonderful flowing river that gives life. Is that what you need? Perhaps that is not enough. How about facing a ginormous body of water? With that body of water in front of you and all of your enemies behind you, and in a moment with that same that same expression, God immediately divides the waters and you walk across on dry land and your enemies try to follow and are immediately consumed. Will that be enough for you to believe? We might think it should. Israel sings, and then notice this text this morning. Look at Israel's disposition before the Lord. Look how quickly Israel has forgotten of God's sovereign care and protection and provision for their lives. Exodus chapter 15 Verse 22, then Moses, notice your text, made Israel set out from the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now, we don't have to read any further to know, uh uh-oh, we've got a problem, right? You're in the wilderness, it's desert-like, it's Louisiana summer 2023 hot. You're walking 12 to 15 miles a day and you have no water. We know there's a problem here, right? When they came to Merah, they found not drink. They could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah. And verse 24, and the people grumbled. The people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Now, I suppose there are two responses to this text. You might say, well, of course they would complain. It's conceivable 
that they would be thinking, wait a minute, time out, Moses. You are our leader. You have brought us out of Egypt. We had provisions in Egypt. We had everything that we needed in Egypt. Yes, we were slaves. Yes, we had no freedom, but at least we had food and water. Now you brought us out into the middle of this desert, and we are about to literally thirst to death. We can understand the complaint in that moment, right? It's reasonable. When I think about the complaints of my children, sometimes I'm thinking through those in terms of whether it's reasonable, right? If it's reasonable, perhaps you still want to say to them, hey, you know, Anna, you shouldn't be complaining about this, but I definitely understand what you're saying. I'm going to, I'm going to try to fix that for you, right? That's a reasonable request. But when they're complaining about something that is completely unreasonable, you're like, shut it. I don't want to hear it. Stop complaining, right? That's unreasonable. This is a reasonable complaint, we might think in our minds. So nobody's going to fault the nation of Israel. You would complain too. I would complain as well. I would want to know where the water fountain was. By the way, I grew up in um, the panhandle of Florida, and my family all lived in Alexandria, Louisiana. So we'd travel back and forth, and my parents were both working full-time and uh, had limited time off. And so normally, Daddy would work all day long, and then we would hop in the vehicle and drive from Panama City all the way to, to Alexandria through the night. And my daddy was under the persuasion that every time we left Panama City to go to Alexandria, it was a race against time. And of course, we had to beat the time before last, which meant we did not stop. But daddy, I'm thirsty, we would say from time to time. And it always angered me. Son, the water fountain is just behind you. I have no idea why Daddy made such a dumb statement, but he'd tell us the water fountain was rightly behind us. What was he ultimately saying? I ain't stopping. Suck it up. We're going on, right? Well, we understand the, we understand, uh, the Israel's complaint here. They're, they're concerned. Three days, no water. But there's more that's going on here, right? The text is going to show us. It's not that just Israel is making this journey to the promised land, and they fall into a a bad situation, the problem for the nation of Israel is that they lack faith in God. And look what the Lord says, or Moses does. He cries to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. And there the Lord made for them a statue and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statues, I will, not, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your doctor, your physician. Israel has a history already of complaining. If you remember, they come out, coming toward the Red Sea in chapter 14. Look at chapter 14, verse 12. 
Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They're already accustomed to complaining and bellyaching and grumbling. See, friends, the issue is complaining and grumbling is a loud statement of our heart's disposition before the Lord. It sets in your heart and in the psyche of your life a pattern that ultimately is deadly. And this is what the Lord is showing us here with these words. They come to Merah and the water is what? Bitter. Do you know what complaining does? to your heart and to your life. It sows the seed of the sin of bitterness. Perhaps nothing will cause you to have a hard heart more quickly or greater than complaining or grumbling. And this is the image that Moses is showing us here of Israel's ultimate disposition before the Lord. They are at a bitter place because they are ultimately a bitter people. It's not the water that's problematic in Exodus chapter 15. It's the nation of Israel that's problematic in Exodus chapter 15. And what God is doing is bringing them to a place where they realize ultimately their complaining is not against brother Moses. It's against whom? God. And friends, we can relate that to every circumstance we walk in in life when we, like the nation of Israel, complain. See, you're complaining to other co-workers at work about your boss is not really you complaining about your boss. It's as though you're sticking your finger in the face of God and saying to him, God, I know better than you do about my circumstances. Why have you placed me here? I'm a better boss than he or she is, and on and on. When you Complain continually about your spouse. You're not ultimately pointing out all the bad aspects that you think are prevalent in your spouse's life. What you're ultimately saying to God is, God, what are you doing? You don't know what you're doing. My spouse is your fault. You know what that complaining does for us? It sows seeds of bitterness in our hearts and our lives. And notice what happens here. Israel comes to Mara and she stoops to drink water. And what does water do? Water gives 
life. It sustains life. And that water is what? It's bitter. God is using this as an image. He's taking an image of what would normally sustain life and give joy to life, and he's using it as an example of what happens when we as God's people operate like the nation of Israel, and that which is intended to sustain life in our hearts and our minds ends up being seeds of bitterness. And listen at what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or complaining that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud of you that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul in the New Testament even reminds us that one of the evidences of walking faithfully with God is a life void of complaining and grumbling. Israel would go on to complain and grumble. We could look at numerous examples throughout the Pentateuch. We'll see it in just a few short chapters. In fact, next chapter, chapter 16, into chapter 17, we're going to see three examples of how Israel yet again does this exact same thing. But the Lord meets them where they are, does he not? That's the great thing about God. Even in the midst of our own sin, God is willing to meet us where we are. Moses cries out to the Lord, and the Lord makes provision for the nation of Israel. Take that, rock, take that log and throw it into the river. Now, we can sit here all day long, friends, and try to come up with reasonable expressions of why or what type of log would have turned water in from bitter to sweet. I, we, scientifically, we try to prove it. The text is telling us God performed a miracle here. The point is not for us to marvel about what the, what, the, what the wood was. The point is for us to know that God made a provision on behalf of his people. And look what God does in response to that. He's going to lay down for them a statue and a rule. Has God given statues and rules to his people thus far? Yeah, we go all the way back to Genesis God's created Adam and Eve. He says to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, you may eat of every tree in the garden. In fact, you may freely eat. But of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, you shall not eat from it, for the day in which you do, you will surely die. We're not yet to Sinai. We don't yet have the full expression of the covenant and the commandments of God. We're going to get there. But it doesn't mean that God hasn't verbally communicated in some measurable ways his statues or laws for his people to be living by, but we also know that the Lord has written his, his law on our hearts. 
So that even if God hasn't specifically said to the nation of Israel, you shouldn't be complaining and grumbling and, and griping, they should, in some ways, know that. But look what God does in response to the situation. God gives the nation of Israel clarity. And I'd like to say to us if, this morning, friends, that God has done the same thing for you and me. He has given us clarity and the way that we are to walk before him, and God's statues and laws are not burdensome for the people of God. They should be joyful. It should be something that we joy in doing. It should be a joy for us to walk rightly with God. It should be an expectation of our lives that I'm going to wake up with an anticipation of living rightly before God every day, for I know that when I live rightly before God every day, I also receive the blessings of God, and we're going to see that in just a few moments as well. God has given to his people clarity and how we are to live, and this is what God is doing. And listen at the clarity. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His eyes and give ear to His commandments and keep all of His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord. Listen to Exodus chapter 5. Verse 3, this is Moses before Pharaoh, bantering with Pharaoh about letting the people go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest, notice what the text says, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. There was already an anticipation, an understanding in the life of the nation of Israel that if they obeyed God, if they walked rightly with God, then they had the protection and the provision or the blessings of God. Not that everything in life would go well. Not that they would have a life completely free of any struggles or trials but they would have the very presence of God ever abiding with them and leading them. And we're going to get to Exodus chapter 32, 33, and 34 and see this narrative fleshed out in a very real way for the nation of Israel. Israel already had an understanding that the way sanctification works in the lives of those who by faith believe in God is directly connected to their obedience. And so, friend, this morning, I can tell you just how close to God you really are. I can tell you just how connected to God you really are. by your obedience, by your faithfulness. Are you walking rightly before God today? Are you delighting in the law of the Lord? Are you that Psalm 1 
man or woman who delights in the law, who's blessed because of it. See, friends, there are benefits when we walk rightly with the Lord, and there are negative consequences when we don't walk rightly with God. Let me show you in Deuteronomy, twice in Deuteronomy, how this same narrative fleshes out. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 12 through 15. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 12 through 15. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 12. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and and the young of your flock and the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt. Now flip with me just 20 chapters over, chapter 28. We'll look at three texts here in chapter 28, verse 21, and then down to verse 60. Chapter 28, verse 21. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Uh-oh. Why? What has Israel done? Look at verse 60. Actually, let's pick up in verse 58. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear the glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring you, will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sickness grievous and lasting, and he will bring upon you again all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you every sickness also and every affliction that is not recorded in the book of this law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. See, friends, disobedience carries grave consequences. But notice the end of verse 26, back in Exodus chapter 15. Majority of our English Bibles translates this word healer, and that's a fine translation. This word is also used, can also be translated physician. So if you look, for example, at Genesis chapter 50, verse 22, it's translated physician. 
So literally, this is what God is saying to the people. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your physician, your doctor, your healer. See, friends, God and God alone knows how to completely and totally care for his people. And we have the promise of God's care when we walk faithfully with him. We have the promise of God's provision when we walk in covenant faithfulness and in obedience to him. But we have the promise of God's wrath when we walk in disobedience to him. The way in which you and I experience God, the one who is healer, is by faith and trust and hope in the person of his son, Jesus. For Jesus, by his spirit, is the one who heals our hearts and souls from the greatest disease. And that greatest disease is sin, rebellion, rejection of his kingly reign. And when we trust in God, Jesus is our healer. He is the one who provides for us. But even as people who have been healed from the sin of, from the disease of sin, God does not promise us that we won't face difficulty in life or that we won't face difficulties or consequences due to our own sin. Because even as believers in the Lord, we are prone to sin. Just like the nation of Israel. But notice verse 27. The implication of the text is that God is bringing the nation of Israel out of their sin and toward forgiveness, for they are going from bitter to better. Look at verse 27. Then the Lord, then they came to Elam, where there were what? Twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. The implication of the text is Israel got right with God. Israel, through this demonstration, understood that their complaining was rebellion ultimately against God. And now God is doing immediately for the nation of Israel what he just promised to do for them in verse 26. If you will walk faithfully before me, I will make provision for you. Verse 27, the Lord brought them to Elam, and what do they find in Elam? All the provisions that they need for life to be sustained. There, God provides. See, friends, the problem is not with God. The problem is with you and me. Even through the difficulties of our lives, 
through the sudden loss of a spouse or child, through the sudden diagnosis of a grave medical situation, through the loss of a job, even through all of those expressions, yes, even there, God is with his people. We don't always sense it. We don't always believe it. But be careful, friends, not to be like the nation of Israel who complain against God. For ultimately, what God is showing us in this passage of Scripture is following God's commandments serves as the remedy for bitterness in our lives. You want to avoid sin? You want to avoid bitterness? You want to avoid complaining and grumbling? Walk rightly before God. And there you'll find joy, peace, happiness. The fruits of the Spirit the Apostle Paul tells us about in the book of Galatians. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for the way in which you bring about a sense of conviction in our hearts and lives through the text of Scripture. And God, we confess this morning that like the nation of Israel, we too, individually and collectively, can be a people who complain and grumble. We can complain about our provisions. We can complain about our situations. We can complain about our jobs. We can complain about our spouses or our children. And we confess that to you this morning. We ask for your forgiveness that you, God, might restore us and renew us that we might ourselves journey to Elam where we find your forever provisions. Would you take a few moments this morning where you're seated and reflect upon the preaching of God's word? Where are you this morning? Are you in Mara? Are you in a place of bitterness? Are you in a place of complaining and grumbling? Would you confess that to the Lord this morning? Would you ask him for strength to overcome that, to walk obediently before him? Or are you encamped at Elam where God is providing in the most spectacular of ways? Would you thank him for that provision? Would you ask him to enable you to continue to respond faithfully to his word? This is what Paul is ultimately getting at in Philippians chapter 
to when he commands us not to complain and to grumble. How do we do that? Verse 16, by holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be, I may be proud that I do not run in vain or labor in vain. See, friends, a way in which we move from Merah to Elam is by holding fast the word of truth, the Scriptures. Do you have a discipline in your life that places you before the Lord every day in His Word? See, friends, you will never live rightly before God separated from His Word. Friend, if you're here today and you've never repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, you're living for yourself, you've rejected God's kingly rule in your life, I want you to know that you, too, will never find peace in life or joy or contentment. That only comes from faith and hope and trust in Christ and living rightly before Him. In just a few moments, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word. As we stand to sing, perhaps you're here and you have questions about what it means to trust in the Lord. To give your life to Christ, myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. We would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Or maybe you'd like for one of us to pray with you. To pray for you that you might come out of Merah. Or to pray with you and rejoice with you as you are in Elam that you might stay there. We would be grateful to pray for you. Perhaps one of the greatest ways we have in shepherding your hearts is by praying for you. Lastly, perhaps God has placed upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Him, this would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. God, as we respond to you now, we ask that our response might be pleasing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?